Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. The whole reason that I put this podcast together was to highlight diverse angling opportunities at home and abroad, showcasing the common interest in the pursuit of fish and experiences from anglers across the country and across the world. The guys that you're going to hear from today, like most anglers, love big fish, like really big fish. And they're coming to you all the way from the Netherlands. Florian Kappen and Maximilian Claus of the Fishing and Conservation Instagram page specialize in the pursuit and the study of freshwater megafauna species. As aquatic ecologists and marine biologists, their adventures serve the dual purpose of gaining a better understanding of giant freshwater fish and having some serious fun as two very skilled anglers. Their pursuits of giant freshwater fish have taken them all over the world, from the jungles of Suriname chasing giant 300-pound catfish to their own stomping grounds around Europe for massive pike and carp. They've also come right here to the U.S. for alligator gar, sturgeon, and plenty of other interesting bycatch along the way. I had a lot of fun talking to these guys. It was a really cool opportunity to get to reach out to and communicate with a couple of like-minded, passionate anglers from across the ocean. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Yep. All right. So we're recording now. So all the way from the Netherlands, uh, Max and Florian, happy to have you all on here. This is this is all new. This is all like first time I've done this. I haven't had more than one person on and I've not had somebody that's over on the other side of the world, but uh, how's it going, guys? It's going great. We're very excited to be here. Uh, thank you for uh, for the invite. And, well, let's see how it goes from uh, this side of the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, doing good. No, and... surprisingly good. It's, uh, it's I don't know. You never know how the, the internet... It's funny. I can call somebody that lives 10 minutes from me and lose connection to them, but then here we are talking from... An, uh, there's a an, uh, whole ocean between us, and... And uh, so far, so good. So hopefully we can keep it that way. Florian, I, I saw you give a little cough there. So you might be like me. I'm a little under the weather. I'm going to try to my not my, I'm going to try my best to not cough into your ears and hit yeah. the mute. <laughs> but uh, I've been trying to shake this thing for a while now. But anyway, I have been seeing these two Dutch guys for the last couple of years constantly posting these giant fish. So I knew I needed to get you all on here and ask more about what you're doing, because what y'all seem to be doing is goes beyond just, I don't know, fishing for fun, because I know that you're doing some conservation work. Um, I know that you're doing something that kind of go is, is bigger picture than just going and trying to get those hero shots, but your photos are amazing. The fish you're catching are amazing. One day you seem like you're overseas. The next day it's alligator gar. Then you're back over and, you know, South America, then you're back here catching more Florida. I mean, uh, you know, 
fish in Florida, fish in Texas. I'm like, these guys are getting all over the place. So I've been a big fan of y'all's uh, stuff for a while, but I guess most recently, uh, Florian, you were down in uh, Suriname doing something that's a major dream destination mine catching those giant pariba catfish so before we do anything because that's so fresh on my mind you got to tell me about that expedition sure sure yeah yeah i think um fishing wise um so far that has been the the like recreational fishing wise that's that's definitely been the most uh memorable experience for me so far um i think i can speak for both max and me that uh We've had this dream to go into the Amazon uh, rainforest for so long, like so long. Like uh, <laughs> we even, like you, you already um, mentioned the conservation stuff. We even had um, uh, almost figured out uh, uh, a way to study like Arapaima twice, mm. but both of the projects got canceled. So we two times we thought we went to uh, we would go to the Amazon uh, rainforest, and then it got canceled. And oh man. Uh, well, after that, we did the alligator gar stuff. But so it's been on our minds for so long. And, and now I finally got to do it uh, a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I fell in love with the rainforest. Let's say that uh, it's so beautiful. And like the expedition um, uh, yeah, that we did was um, obviously you need uh, some some kind of guide. Like you need uh, uh, like boats. You need uh, place to sleep whatever so we couldn't just go out on our own unfortunately which we prefer to do mm -hmm. um, this was with our other buddy uh, Niels uh, which I guess we'll mention more in this podcast because uh, yeah the three of us kind of uh, uh, fish fish together a lot and um, yeah he's also a big part of what, what we do uh, in recreational fishing but um, yeah so um, yeah we we, we I got in touch with the, this guy um, in Suriname and he, he offers trips like this where you just literally just uh, you have a houseboat like uh, or like more like a raft houseboat uh, that he created uh, especially for fishing. Um, he's even got beds in there. He's got a little kitchen, uh, <laughs> a cooler. Uh, he's got a generator on there. And basically what we did is just... Um, over the course of nine days, we pushed the the, uh, the houseboat up the river by boat. Uh, like it was like a, a river where the, uh, the tide uh, like, like literally shifts the whole uh, direction of the flow of the river. So yeah, tide need to, needed to be coming inwards to push the the, the raft up upstream, or well with with the flow. Uh, so so it took like multiple days for us to finally reach the right spot where there wasn't too much current from the tide um, and where there were actually piraiba or where it was easier to catch the piraiba. Um, so it took a couple of days before we finally uh, were able to successfully fish for piraiba. But um, yeah, just like, like I'm saying, like nine days, just pushing the raft up the river and um, yeah, trying to, trying to find those piraiba and uh, Man, it's such an awesome experience just being out there on the river in the Amazon rainforest and no connection, no, no cell phone connection, just uh, fishing like almost 24 hours a day for, for nine days. Uh, like even yeah. at night, you, you know the, the bait alarm systems. You saw it yesterday as well. Max was using yep. it. So 
even like when we were sleeping, we had three rods out, uh, bait alarm on there. And well, if you get a bite, you, you wake up. But I mean, I can tell you that you're not really sleeping very deeply. Uh, yeah. when you're <laughs> well, like I, I, bet, I bet you jump out of bed for that morning alarm clock a lot faster than you do if you're going to report into some bum job. I don't know, but yeah, yeah it seems like y'all sure. do some pretty exciting stuff for work as well. And we'll get into that, but. I can totally relate when it comes to dreaming about fishing the Amazon. I've been that way since I was a little kid. I think a lot of kids all over the world probably do, especially if you have any kind of fascination with wildlife. But I mean, I was that little boy, like nerdy little kid <laughs> to where uh, I probably isolated myself to a point from even making friends because I would be always outside, nothing but a pair of shorts on, running around trying to catch some kind of animals. I had set up my room to look like the Amazon rainforest. I mean, it, it was corny as can be. I had all these like, <laughs> toy animals all in the place thinking, and I just dreamed of going to the Amazon. So even to this day, that is still in there. But, um, you know, you talk about, you know, you had to go with guides, but, you know, that's different. At least this isn't like you're going with like some sort of um, established uh, well, they may be established, but they're not, they're not, I imagine holding your hand to a point. Um, and making the the whole experience like overly comfortable because you're having to do all that travel. Yep, I mean, yep. you got, you got, you're still contending with the bugs, the elements, the, you know, the uncomfortable nights of sleep and things yeah. like that. So, um, but for people who are listening that may not know what a Piraiba even is, I mean, a lot of folks who are listening may not know much more than, you know, bluegills and bobbers. But describe what a Piraiba is just, I mean, I mean, so people understand the scale of what you travel to go catch. Sure. Um, so, yeah, first of all, uh, um, as you were mentioning, like, yeah, there were guides, but uh, indeed, like, we had quite some freedom as well. So we could, like, say, okay, but uh, our feeling says, like, we need to stay here or we need to move or whatever. So that, that was uh, pretty nice about this whole experience that, like, I guess if you go with like a charter or whatever, like on sea, like you, you're just, he puts you on the fish and you just start fishing, right? And, and here we had some freedom to play around and we even learned more and more uh, as we got more bites and we ch started changing our setup and whatever. So that was pretty fun, yeah. But uh, yeah, Piraiba catfish. Um, so I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm already mentioning it. It's a uh, catfish. Uh, and they're humongous. <laughs> mm -hmm. They are uh i think the world record is like two meter 80 centimeters something like that or if i'm not mistaken like over two and a half meters easily so yeah. i don't know how much this is in feet uh um i can do the conversion on the top i know of you hand, know what i before this call i i feel like i should have brushed up on my uh conversions when it comes back because when you say meters i'm like I don't know what the heck that means. Well, I, I know what it means, but I have to like sit and think about it. But yeah. uh, for American listeners, Hariba catfish can get, and correct me if I'm wrong, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Like yeah. like the size yeah. it could, you know, I don't want to make things sound monstrous and scary, but like man-eating proportions. Arguably one of, if not the biggest, freshwater fish. Now that's y'all's specialty. Um, yeah, that's you <laughs> and Max both traveling all over the place, specializing in, in, in large freshwater fish. 
but I still don't even know. Like, what is considered it? I mean, are what is the biggest freshwater fish? Because I hear arapaima, I hear those giant stingray out in Thailand, I hear piraiba. I'm like, okay, Siamese carp, which I don't even know if those even exist in the wild anymore. Uh, but I know the Paribas up there, is it not? I mean, are they in contention for that that title of biggest freshwater fish on the planet? So it's uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a debate if you count fish that migrate between salt and fresh water. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, you probably have the uh, beluga sturgeon, which is huge. I mean, those fish grow like over a thousand pounds right right they, could, they, could grow. They, let's say could there's grow. basically nothing that can compete with that and you also have white surgeon which are also huge mm-hmm. but fully fresh water <laughs> fish uh weight wise i would guess mekong catfish yeah and that's and another then, weird one it's like you know i'm, I'm seeing the those in some of those kind of controlled environment lakes <clears> that they have uh over there but and i think occasionally they pop up in in nets but i don't know how much you know, people are really seeing those out in the wild anymore. But it definitely when you see the photos of a really, really big, mature one, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like That's hard to compare against. Yeah, they're extremely rare in the wild these days. Uh, there is some conservation work on those going on. I believe uh, Zeb Hogan, he uh, he caught one in the wild hmm. with, with nets. But um, if you try to catch them with rod and reel, yeah, your efforts will probably be futile. Because these fish, uh, like many other fish in the world, they're, yeah, especially these big fish, they're endangered because of uh, habitat loss, uh, construction of dams. I mean, these fish, they migrate migrate hundreds of uh, miles to get to their spawning grounds. And then we, yeah, we construct a dam and we get electric power from that. And then these fish can't reach their spawning grounds anymore. And then you have overfishing in many places. I mean, not every country that these fish inhabit uh, has the same regulations or same protection uh, going on. So, yeah, all these factors, they're pressing on these populations and they just continue dwindling. And actually, giant freshwater fish, they uh, their numbers are declining more rapidly than basically any other group of species in the world. Right. Like if you look at ter- terrestrial habitats, uh, ter- like mammals and animals like that, birds, these fish are declining multiple factors faster. So, so aquatic aquatic life in general, I think, is is indeed like uh, uh, declining uh, most rapidly. And then uh, I don't know if exactly fish are the most uh, out of the aquatic life, like most most uh, declining. Uh, uh, most of those, uh, yeah, that group. But then from the fish, the, the mega fish are the ones that, that really uh, are under pressure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know from the top of my head, but, but uh, I think it was around, wasn't it like close to 90% or something, uh, population decline or 70 or 90 for, something? So huh? for megafauna fish, uh, fish over 25, that can weigh over 25 kilograms, I believe it was even 95%. 95, wow. yeah. Yeah, I was thinking ninety four, but I don't I didn't want to over. Uh, <laughs> no, but at, uh, at least those numbers are extremely yeah. high. I yeah. mean, if if it was fifty percent, it would already be high. But yeah, yeah, cool. it's basically. I I think it's crazy that it uh, 
And what do they think is the, I mean, what's the biggest factor, I guess, globally? Is it just over harvest? Is it uh, habitat encroachment? I think building of dams that's keeping them from reaching like critical spawning grounds or like a combination of all of these things. Uh, yeah, it, it depends on the species, but for most of them, all three factors are main contributors. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, there's, I, there's um, yeah, not a lot of um, enforcement on laws. So, even if you have a protected area or a protected species, yeah, there's not a lot of education going on to teach people why it's important to preserve these fish. And there's also no enforcement to make sure that they, yeah, don't continue their ways and destroying the, these populations. Yeah. I think in most, um, like, uh, yeah, how do you say this? Like, 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 uh, Europe, uh, the US, uh, Asia, like the more very populated uh, um, areas of the world, it's mostly river regulation, I think, where, mm -hmm. um, like Max already said, like spawning habitat uh, really gets like disconnected or degrades. And, but also, like, uh, juveniles also need a different kind of habitat, like very specific as well. Um, and then I guess mostly adults, they, they are the, um, uh, they can survive more harsh circumstances, but uh, if they never reach the adult size, then that's already a problem, right? So um, I guess those very populated parts is mostly river regulation, but then you have uh, maybe, for instance, in South America, like uh, um, the guys uh, uh, I talked with, like the guides in Suriname, they told us about uh, Guyana, which is north of Suriname. Mm -hmm. uh, people uh, fish for piraiba, um, for consumption a lot there yeah and apparently <clears throat> over there so there's not really that much river regulation because the rivers are just uh pretty yeah they're in, in their natural state basically but the people from guyana are moving to suriname now because uh numbers are declining so much in in guyana so uh, i think there's really uh something needs to be done there to protect uh, uh, uh the piraiba in guyana uh and well, maybe in the future uh, we could uh, hop in, Max. But uh, <laughs> those are big plans and not easy to achieve. But uh, who knows? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because I think uh, I mean a big part of the reason why I am a fan of what y'all are doing is you're you're giving that first step, which is just exposure that these things exist in the first place. Because I know here in America, like you know, if I throw up a photo of a piraiba to people or any of these giant monstrous fish that, you know, people should know exist or be able to identify folks don't know what it is. They think, mate, well, was that caught here? Like, what is that? So I don't think you can really care about the well-being of something, obviously, if you don't even know it exists. So the fact yeah. that y'all are getting out there and, you know, I've, I've scrolled your, both of your pages, your main page and your individual pages and seen some of the seminars that you've done speaking on the importance of these things. So, uh, that's commendable. And it seems like there's not a lot of voices out there. But I think, you know, some of the TV, recent TV programs that kind of became mainstream here in the States, I don't know if they play elsewhere, but, you know, your monster fish with Zeb Hogan, uh, the yeah. river monsters and those kind of things, even though there's an element of drama and like and and myths and monsters involved, it at least kind of opens the window for people to like see, OK, those things exist now perpetuating some kind of myth that they're out out to eat your kids and your dog 
maybe not yeah. so good, but uh, <laughs> it's probably also hard to keep a TV program on air for so many seasons. If you're not adding an element of mystery or crime sure. solving or drama. And so it's sort of like, I don't know. It's like a necessary evil to at least get people to understand that these things are out there. You know, what's funny is I know like uh, Max, Florian, both of y'all, all, you know, y'all catch uh, the whales, catfish, European catfish, whatever you want to call them uh, right there in your backyard. You wouldn't believe how oftentimes I'll go to local tackle stores here in, in, in America and see like the same photo of guys holding a giant whales catfish. And it's like, you know, there's like a caption on it that it was caught at below the dam. I'm like, that's not true. That is a <laughs> lie. Those don't live. We have these myths here. And I'm always curious that they exist where y'all live too. But like, you go to any major lake in like the southern United States, maybe the whole United States, there's these stories of these mythical Volkswagen sized catfish that live below the dam that scare the welders away. I mean, it's the story is it's like so consistent in so many different states across so many miles of these giant man eating catfish. I've always kind of curious, do y'all, I mean, do y'all have the similar fairy tales that people tell where you're at? I, I can't think of anything like this. Uh, people are smarter there. We got a bunch of dummies over here. <laughs> well, we got dummies here no, as but, well. But, uh, <laughs> there's, all, there's always a story of the big one that got away or the big one that some someone has seen. So it it's also one of those things that attracts us to yeah to the bank each time because mm. you don't know what's what's down there there could be a big catfish but yeah who knows how big it is i mean right well what's also funny is you also don't know when the bite's going to come and ironically so and i'm going to have to throw this video up but it was like the best thing ever so yesterday for anybody listening you know because y'all are an ocean away like I'm very, I was very scared that maybe like there would be connect connectivity issues or we'd run into problems. So, you know, we did sort of like an icebreaker call, which a few times I'll do that with, with guys that are coming on the show, just so they know what they're getting into. And I know what I'm getting into and I know what I'm working with and I answer any questions, but, uh, Max, what I loved it, you were fishing while we were on the call, which I felt bad about. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting. But, um, but it was you also interrupting at all. I mean, right. <laughs> I had to wait for the take. So, <laughs> right. So, so you were in the middle of fishing and, uh, it was like right before I was going to turn off the call. Uh, I, I think Flory and you and I are talking you just hear this faint voice in the background. Like I'm on or like fish. on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's <laughs> that awesome. Really but you awesome. were, you were pike fishing. So, yes. um, but that was, that was interesting. I think that kind of highlights, you just, you don't know what's going to bite. You don't know when it's going to bite. But also it was like kind of a cool um, opportunity for me to see like in real time, the way that you're fishing, um, because, you know, here in the States, you don't see the setup that you're using to catch those monster pike. But I mean, I, I, I can't let this call go by without asking about like, I don't know, y'all's pike fishing scene. It's crazy. I mean, Max, walk me a little bit through that. Some of the gear you're using, the approach that y'all use, the, si the size and the caliber of the pike that you catch i mean people that are listening gotta go check y'all stuff out because it's 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 preposterous so there's basically two ways that um we target pike and one is uh more passive it's it means we use bait alarms and um use a dead bait fish 
by the way, we aren't allowed to use live bait fish in the Netherlands, so we use um, we use dead bait, and we prefer uh, dead saltwater fish because they're more oily. They have a lot more smell, so we typically use uh, saltwater bait fish. Debatable, Max. Some water debatable, debatable. Right. Yes, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's um, yeah. With, with the bait alarms, we toss out one of these bait fish in. Um, preferably a very very large lake and well we we typically also beforehand we try to figure out the spots because well you can toss your bait anywhere but if you don't know what you're doing you're not going to catch anything especially these huge fish of which are not too many in one lake right so yeah, um yeah can I first thing is find, yeah. yeah jump in yeah, so so indeed, like the, the very most important thing of uh, fishing with dead bait, like static fishing with dead bait, is is the the your your fishing spot, like the location, and especially in winter, where all the fish like they they move to the winter holding areas, right? So if you're not fishing on that exact spot, then you're not going to catch anything, or at least you're not going to catch well, especially on those big lakes. Um, and then you can go the easy route, which in the Netherlands is going fishing in harbors. But like every idiot, to say, just to say <laughs> to <give laughs> the name, does that. So we don't prefer doing that. We like to sit on the big lake and find this one specific spot where they are at. But yes. that's that requires a lot of knowledge. So that's the the trick of dead bait fishing. I would say is really knowing where to put where to present your bait, and that's what makes it hard and sometimes very tough. But go ahead, Max. Continue. Yeah, I mean that's that's you you nail it with that answer. <laughs> and um, yeah, apart from finding that spot, um, yeah, fi finding the right lake, we like to explore. We like to find uh, new spots that are not very common or popular mm -hmm. for everyone to fish. But um, yeah, Florian and our buddy Niels, um, whom we talked about earlier, uh, they also like to go. And chase these pike actively with uh, with lures. So yeah, for that we use huge baits. I mean, I I can grab one uh, from the back here. Yeah, do it for sure. And then we'll just describe. Um, yeah, I mean, in the meantime, while I'm grabbing one of those baits, Florian can uh, can explain more about that. Yeah, sure, perfect. Yeah. It's like yeah. tag team effort. Tag him in. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the benefit of having two people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One sec. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not only giant baits, um, though most often we prefer big baits, but because uh, big baits catch big fish mm. and it's easily treated. Like, like you were saying about the, the jacks yesterday, um, that those big ones, they really want just that one big meal. That's, I, I guess it, it goes for pike as well. But uh, the big baits we mostly use for trolling, and then we get like the biggest lake systems in the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, you try to figure out those seasonal patterns. Where are the bait fish at which time of the year? Uh, so where the bait fish uh, are, that's where you can expect the pike, obviously. Um, and so I think the most preferable way is uh, like casting. Um, and the most fun thing, I would say, like really, that's I really, really, really love doing this is in spring, uh, as pike are going to spawn, they all move up the shallows. Yeah, yeah. So you'll have like, I don't know, like a from a foot to three three feet of water, or maybe maybe two to six, but like very shallow water, where you're just casting your often jerk baits, 
and you have these massive pike like sometimes you, you see see them uh grab your lure and like, okay so you're just like sight casting at them no 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 no, no. We, we we find a spot where we 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 know for sure that they will move up to like a shallow area oh okay and then like there's so many pike moving up there uh you can get crazy days with so many big fish and like you'll catch like uh, uh say a, a 30 pound uh pike like on like just a little bit of water and oh and geez yeah because it's so shallow you like there's a little distance between the bait and your pike and the pike so yeah it's so effective and so much fun uh, so i guess that would be the most fun way but uh yeah like it's it depends from from casting is our preference to in mostly in winter time when when it's more tough when the pike move deeper and the base fish move deeper like sometimes up to 20 meters which uh, uh let me think of the conversion I, I i looked up the conversion so 20 <laughs> well what's what what i've been noticing been impressed by is like the difference in just the body proportions and the build of the fish oh, over yeah. there. Like <laughs> I haven't ever, I've never caught a pike. Um, it's something I want to catch, but uh, just haven't done it yet. But it's, you know, you very seldom see like our pikes seem much more like sleek, athletic, like torpedo shaped fish, smaller. Um, there's still some big ones. Like, in, in, and if you expand out to just North America as a whole, Canada's got amazing pike fishing and, and, and big ones, but still, the ones y'all are catching seem so much more like robust and like thick and just like, just, I don't know, just monstrous pike. And that's, that's so weird to me because, and I see the same thing out of y'all's carp, which I want to get to in a minute, but Max, I got to see these lures that y'all are throwing at these things. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got two with me now. And, um, well, this is the type of lure. So this is my lower arm. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> So people yeah, listening, uh, this is uh, this lure he's holding. It looks like a Savage Gear trout. Yeah, but it it's probably big. You know, it's funny is there's there's people out there that lure is bigger than any fish a lot of people have caught on yeah. rod and reel. Like this thing is massive. And and so. so the idea behind this is like what I was getting into, like when the pike move very deep, like uh, maybe, maybe sometimes even twenty meters, which is sixty feet. I just converted it. Um, like when you use these giant baits with a big profile and you don't have to fish them like, uh, uh, you can fish them like halfway uh, on the water column, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it's such a big profile and such a good, easy meal for a pike, they will come up like uh, five to 10 meters. So like, uh, to, I guess, 30 feet, just, just to come grab that lure. And that's why it's so extremely effective uh, for those big pike. And yeah, then we try to, uh, well, our, our buddy Niels uh, and I, when we fish from the boat nowadays, we get three rods each on each side of the boat. And I don't know if you've ever heard of planer boards. Yes, yes. Yeah, so basically it's this, this, uh, this yeah, floating device that makes your, your loose go, uh, lures go uh, uh, to the side of the board, away right. from the boat to the side and then we get six rods out and it's like literally on the right spot trying to uh, make a lot of distance and just yeah try to find a needle in a haystack basically and 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 yeah yeah it's the planer really boards are, those planer boards are a pretty interesting little device that kind of lets you like 
uh, for anybody that doesn't know what they are, it's, and, and I've not used them, but I've watched a lot of interesting videos where you can kind of set it to control, uh, you know, how close or how far out from the boat you're trolling with that your lure is. And it also allows you to troll multiple rods so that you're not, you know, having tangles immediately behind the boat. Yeah. But also some fish aren't going to want to strike in your direct path that you've just gone over. But, you know, it's funny. I, I saw a video a while back of a guy that he would sit in his vehicle and drive along a dike like <laughs> par- parallel to a uh, canal or like a river and with a planer boards and just drive his car. And that's how he was trolling with a planer board out wow. along, like along like a levee. But uh, it's pretty wow. interesting. And I, I'm going to tell you, looking at that lure, there's no chance in hell. I'm going to want to spend a day trying to cast that thing. Your arm's going to fall off. But, oh, uh, I mean, I've, I've that... done so. I've done so. <laughs> Full days of casting. No way. But, well, <laughs> not exactly this lure, but other, other lures that are maybe just a hair smaller, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, You've been so guessing things like this, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but the yeah, lure, is, the lure is just happening. a smaller pike. So Max is here yeah. holding yeah. up another lure, trying to catch pike with a lure that is another pike smaller. Because you know, and that's another crazy thing is that they will very happily uh, just eat their own, which is just oh yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, sometimes they even regulate their populations that way, like uh, because the, the adults will just feed on on the juveniles. Uh, it really regulates how many juveniles will reach maturity. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm still I'm curious. I mean, what is your opinion? Like, it's the carp is the same thing. It seems like those European strain carp or the carp over there are much like shorter, stockier. Sometimes they're more bigger around than they are even long. You just you just don't see that here in the state. Occasionally, you'll see one that kind of looks that way, but they just seem so different than like our fish, which get long, they get big, but very seldom will you see the ones that are that are so big around. I know y'all are pretty pretty heavy in the carp scene as well, but so, you got those really crazy looking leather carp and mirror carp and and yeah. wild scaled pattern fish that are so thick. But I'm just interested. So, is it the diet? I mean, what is it? Oh, so for, first of all, uh, Max can explain about the carp because he's the carp specialist. But uh, so you're you're saying this about the pike and the carp, and the pike in the Netherlands are just extremely big and fat, because apparently we are we have perfect conditions for that. Uh, so that's totally natural. And but the carp they have a little twist to that why they 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 reach these uh, proportions. And I, I'll let Max explain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know carp is not that popular of a game fish in the United States for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Europe, it's probably the number one sports fish. Right. So there's a, there's a whole scene going on and there's a lot of selective breeding going on with these fish and a lot of stocking. So okay. there's people that have been breeding these fish for years and years. So for example, 40 years ago, if you would catch a 30 or 40 pound fish, it would be a really big one. But due to this selective breeding, we now have fish that go over 100 pounds. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, that's that's like world, world record size. But still, those fish are out there. And there's plenty 50, uh, 60 pounders out there. And just due to selective breeding. And then, of course, there's a huge carp scene. So a lot of food goes in, like boilies and all of this stuff. And... Yeah, yeah they, I, in, 
in these isolated lakes, these fish mostly depend on the fishermen feeding them. These these world record carp, these world record carp would have never reached that size without like a lot of feeding by the owner of the lake and the and the carp fishermen. Um, you'll not find a hundred pounder in the in the wild uh, mm-hmm. even even after the selective breeding. Um, but yeah, the selective breeding is a big, big, big part of it. Like, yeah, just like with dogs, we we, we created all those uh, different strains of dogs. Well, with carp, it's not really st- well. Also, strains, of course, with the mirror carp and whatever. And the koi but, uh, variants, of course, and all yeah, the crazy sure. color forgot, variations. Of- forgot forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, now the selection is mostly size. They want them like very high and very fat, and length doesn't the really matter. Shortest amount of time. Yeah, yeah, fast growing fish. Yeah, that's interesting. It it it's a it's a culture of fishing that's growing here in the United States. I mean, there's some real diehard people. It's it's definitely yeah. started to turn, but uh, it's not gotten to that level. But you're you're even starting to see more and more people adopting the, the same kind of tactics that y'all use uh, over there here, and and even more and more uh, guys from overseas are coming here to catch our carp which is you know that's interesting to me that people would travel around the world to catch the exact same species of fish uh but but it's i don't know that's an interesting type of it fishing that i've i've never got good at i've dabbled in it a little bit my buddy austin anderson is one of the young guys that's kind of leading that charge out here and he's coupling that with the buffalo fishing that we do which has also kind of started to garner a lot of interest from the guys he's getting clients from Asia and Europe and like he, you know, he's, I think a big part of the people that are coming to even fish with them at all are folks overseas, which is, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I mean, we don't have Buffalo carp, but I think it's mostly uh, the adventure that goes along with it as well. So the United States, you've got these really wild remote areas, these big lakes, uh, no one else fishing for these fish. And then if you have a couple of big fish on a lake in Europe, there's a lot of people fishing for these fish. So you're kind of repeating someone else's success or you're fishing for these specific fish. And for me, it takes away from the adventure and apparently for a lot of other people as well. Yeah. Now that makes sense when you put it that way. But um, but yeah, so the other thing that's kind of interesting about y'all is, is I know we're talking about like a lot of your home waters and some of the things you've done um outside the united states just out of my personal interest because i i want to travel but you know y'all are also coming to the states a lot and highlighting some of the real unique fish that we have right here um in my backyard or our backyard and uh namely the alligator gar i think the first time i came across your pages was these just magnificent photos that you take of these big alligator gar because that's a scene that's real peculiar to me and that our biggest freshwater predator in all of North America still hasn't become like a, a mainstream thing. Not a lot of people going after. It's like one of the great fishing mysteries of the world that American <laughs> anglers aren't crawling over the top of each other to go catch one of these things. But I'm curious because I know y'all have come out and done a lot of science work with them. And I, that's what I'm really interested in because it's a fish that I think here in America, we need to take a lot more pride in because I consider it like our heavyweight champion. Unlike, you know, we've got white sturgeon, but to your point, um, you know, by nature, they're supposed to be going into and out of the oceans, but you do have landlocked um, 
populations of those. But our alligator gar, I'm just, you know, I feel like more people need to understand the reality of the fish because it's so big and scary. They have this sort of negative perception about them. But I want to know, like, the kind of work and the nature of the work that y'all are doing with them. Like, what what exactly are you uh, accomplishing when you're coming out and, and sampling these things? There's multiple aspects to that. Um, for us, it's uh, it's a lot about raising awareness for these species and, well, seeing why they're misunderstood and everything. But research-wise, it's um, discovering well, very basic elements of these fish, actually, because we don't know a lot about these fish. So we um, we had research going on on their movements, like do they use a, a wide range of the river? Do they use a small section of the river? Uh, what specific type of habitat do they use or prefer? So, yeah, th- those type of things are not well understood about these species yet. There's a, some rivers that are uh, really well studied, but for example, the alligator gar in Florida have been found out to behave completely different from fish in Texas, for example. Well, but, maybe not uh, completely um, different, but it's definitely a very different situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. They're much more rare. Uh, they had a very hard time figuring out how to effectively sample for them. And, and, and they don't still, I, I think, I don't know if they even know where they spawn yet. Uh, at least when we went over to Florida, they definitely didn't know. But um, yeah, Florida is a par- apparently uh, an exception to to uh, yeah the, the rule, I guess, in in the way everything works. But uh, they're they're right on top of it. And man, I've heard some of the stories of how many because because we were doing these things as internships, right, for our studies. Mm-hmm. So we were just for uh, a shorter amount of time, for like half a year. Um, either assisting or, or uh, working on a project to figure something out, like a new river or uh, set up this research. But uh, these guys in Florida now, um, uh, they, they got so many, like they, they, they tag them, right? With a, they, they catch them and they tag them and they, they follow their movements. Where do these fish go? And they have so many receivers out now that, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll, they're gathering, gathering like very va- valuable and beautiful data on what these alligator gar are doing. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. really cool stuff. It is got a it, great team over there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's obviously now that I live in Florida, it's one of those things I've looked at because it's interesting to me. Um, I mean, we seem like we have such healthy ecosystems and healthy rivers and like no one's really pressuring them. And, but, uh, you know, I wonder, like, what is holding them back from expanding more into into my state? It's it's warm. Uh, the, the warm season is much longer. Uh, <clears throat> the access to vegetation, I would think, is better for if they need to spawn. So I've always been kind of curious, like, what's holding them back from 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 growing in population? But it seems like they exist in pretty. And I might be wrong, but it looks like smaller rivers. I mean, the Trinity is so big and vast. Um but maybe it's the food sources. I, I mean, I don't think we have buffalo and and or even carp in most of the rivers in Florida that I know of. So I don't know if they're eating mullet, if they're eating, you know, maybe it's the food source thing that's that's keeping them from really growing. But it's it uh, it just feels like what I know of them. They have every reason to succeed in this state, and yet a lot of people don't even know that we have true alligator gar. Now in Florida, if you come down, you can come to the Everglades and ask people if they've ever seen alligator gar. They call every single gar that lives here. Yeah. All of them are alligator gar. Yeah. 
I'm like, have you ever wondered why none of these alligator gar are more than two feet long? But I gave yep. up trying. I gave up trying to <laughs> change their mind a long time ago. We, we, we encountered that, that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we learned that pretty quickly as well. We, uh, we had to figure out one of these rivers, and well, there's basically nothing known about how many alligator gar would be there. So we would be asking around a lot if people had seen alligator gar. Mm -hmm. And then they would be like, oh, well, we, I just saw one over there or a couple of days ago. Yeah, one yeah. <laughs> but it's just, for example, a really big long-nosed gar or a big mm -hmm. Florida gar. But seeing a real alligator gar, you'll know for sure it's an alligator right. gar. Yeah. yeah. So well, to, to answer your question on why are they, aren't they expanding into Florida more? Um, so they're not sure why, why the populations in Florida aren't uh, thriving as much as in, in Texas, for instance. Um, but I, I think we have a hunch that maybe have to, may, may have to do with like spawning habitat, uh, that like these, these, they need these uh, floodplains, these uh, grassy, uh, herbaceous uh, uh, floodplains that, right. uh, uh, yeah, like you'll have these giant gar coming up, like about the same as I was explaining with Pike coming up to such uh, shallow waters and just you have these big guards just, just cruising around and spawning and it's, it's so cool to see. Uh, we've only seen it on videos, but uh, yeah, it's amazing. But uh, like what we noticed, because we've been in Florida and we've been in Texas and in Texas, you just have so much floodplain, so many, uh, like so much area of floodplain where they can spawn. And I think... Um, we cannot state this scientifically or whatever, but like we saw this, that like tributary rivers of the river that we were studying that had a lot of floodplains. Uh, so a lot of spawning opportunities. Mm -hmm. These seem to hold the most gar, alligator gar. Um, so I'm, I, I think it, it might have to do something with that. But, you know, like I'm saying, there's no, no hard scientific evidence on that. And well, you will also, of course, have to think of like um, when if 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 these, the species wants to to uh, you know expand their their range, um, there needs to be access to the the other river. Um, so how do right. should they migrate between the one and the other river? That I mean, they they can they they live in bays as well. They can even go to the, to uh, like full salt water. Yep. So they could do that. Like they could migrate uh, from one river to the other through through salt water, but how likely is it to have them establish a whole new population there? Uh, I think that's that. Yeah, that, I have a, I've doubted that it will will happen. So uh, I guess that's one of the big reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, like I'm saying, the, in Florida, the, the rivers where they are present, like uh, in the Panhandle, uh, mostly, or I think all of the rivers are in the Panhandle, at least in the uh, northwest of, of Florida. Um, yeah, they're really studying these gar and and trying to figure out. Uh, what they can do to to protect the species better yeah so, and I, I, yeah i bet they'll they'll uh uh yeah they, they'll make progress on that like uh it sounds very promising yeah that's an interesting part of like the biology the fish is that they they it has to flood for them to spawn and it's yeah. also kind of a scary thing that i know like out out in texas there's even <clears throat> whole seasons that go by where there's not sufficient enough rain for them to spawn so some of those fish could go years without ever spawning. So, it, you know, it makes me nervous for the fish that they're so much more vulnerable to, you know, anything people want to do to eliminate them. They just can't keep up, to, you know, if there's any real pressure on them. Um, because as y'all know, 
And what I try to like let people know is like unlike a bass that, you know, when they are born, they can literally be spawning within the same 12 month period of the time that they're hatched. And an alligator gar is born and it's on its own. There's no nest. There's no guardianship from parents. They're on their own on day one out in that hard, cruel world and might have to wait a decade before they can pass the genetics on. So, you know, when you see the images of people out here kind of pressuring them with by whatever means, um, it's unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, you look at the Trinity River too, like, well, the, the famed Trinity River when it comes to alligator garf. My impression is always, it's such a like awe-inspiring power that that river possesses to become catastrophically flooded to the point like it becomes outright dangerous during the real flood season because you know you spend time on those rivers it's like the the contours of the river is like these muddy bluffs it's like cliffs of just mud where you can see in years past where flood conditions the river got so big it was literally tearing the land away there's trees hanging over there's exposed houses and cars on the riverbed when the when the water goes down so they get those kind of floods here in florida i don't think we i mean we just don't see that and then and obviously the, the trinity being so big is you know if it's flooding way upstate that water is going to make its way down mm -hmm. the rivers we have here in florida that i know they exist and seemed like they creak out not too far north from where um you know from where they are along the gulf but it's it's really interesting but i do know I'm so envious of the photos you all have with the fish because it's, it's it just makes for a much, you know, that's like the selfish side of me. It's like, I want to see the fish get, get, uh, you know, elevated, but the photos you can get with, with the big oak trees and the Spanish moss and the cypress trees. I mean, it's so unique and it's such a more like aesthetically nice looking photograph, but those fish, those fish are really interesting to me. It's, it's awesome that you've been able to get out there and see them. It's something I want to do, but, We'll see if I find time just to go look at these things, but it's really cool. So, Thank you. so, so you were getting into like, um, like floods not happening every year and, um, you know, gar, alligator gar, uh, needing a long time between being born and, and spawning for the first time. And so it's actually, uh, called like a per periodic life strategist where they, um, Indeed, these conditions for spawning, they don't happen often. Um, but when they do, uh, they will make use of it and they have, they have their whole life strategy just uh, revolving around making this one opportunity in maybe three years, but which is happening maybe once every three years or maybe yeah. even less often to be successful. And, and, and uh, yeah, they, they put like more energy in, 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 in this one uh, 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 spawning batch, right? So, but that's also why they're the the, the mega fish. Often they are periodic life strategists. Why they are so under pressure because it takes a while for them to be mature. Uh, in during which, like these all these years, they can be harvested, right? So if there's not proper regulation, none of the of the fish will get, or a very small amount of the fish will get to the 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 the, the age where they can start spawning, and then you have these specific conditions uh, that they need. And if these conditions aren't met because of um, river regulation or disconnection of, of floodplains or whatever, um, yeah, then they cannot spawn, and, and that makes them very, very vulnerable. So, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, I'm glad we're we're starting to understand these thing, things much better nowadays, so we can, uh, you know, put regulations in place. Like in Texas, I think at certain 
uh, yeah, like at, when, when the river is flooding in certain times, uh, like in the, in, in, uh, the spawning uh, time for alligator gar, I think it's prohibited to, to fish for them. So, uh, you know, these things are, are, are at least in the Trinity, I think. But, well, yeah, I don't know. Some, some sections of, uh, of the Trinity, but yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate that a lot of research is done on the Trinity River. They've got a great crew working on that. But oh, yeah. a lot of other rivers uh, also hold alligator gar, and they don't have those regulations. So, and especially with some methods, um, yeah, they're very easy to target when they're spawning. I mean, you see this, this fish of seven, eight feet swimming along uh, in three feet of water. So it's really easy to see them. It's really easy to target them. And what you're actually doing is you're destroying your future fisheries because yeah. these fish, they finally have the opportunity to spawn and they finally reproduce and yeah, have, have produced a new generation of these fish. And then before they can do that, they're killed off. So yeah, like I'm really in favor of installing um, like close season for the protection of the fish and the fisheries yeah. itself on all these rivers on throughout their range because yeah, it will benefit both species and the people that go for them. Right. Yeah. It. I. I it's. It's good to see that Texas has definitely kind of led the way and and taking those steps i feel like that species has really started to like make that like turn that corner which is yeah. good because i think once they turn the corner there's no turning back the 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 idea of going out and filling the bottom of a boat with a bunch of dead ones is <clears throat> i think those days are gone and i think the days are numbered where it's still allowed and it's one which is good because <clears throat> it can it's only going to help from here on out but uh you know it's interesting max i can see over your shoulder the skull back there, a number of skulls, but I definitely recognize that one there over your left <laughs> shoulder. Um, yeah. And we kind of joked before the call that, you know, hey, that pro that one probably wasn't too hard to find. Unfortunately, it wasn't really hard to find. Um, it's an alligator gar skull. This is not a really big one. But the unfortunate thing is we found 11 of them in like a 200 meter stretch mm. of along the Trinity Bank. So that's, yeah, that's very unfortunate, and it just shows how many numbers go lost. And there, there were still alligator gar out there, but in this one, yeah, it has a yeah. dent in its skull, so we know what happened to it. Yeah, yeah. So but, this is um, at the Trinity, and there's a very good population there indeed. Yeah, there's if a you huge get, population there. If you get rivers where there's not that many alligator gar, and you get people bow fishing for them, that's, that's or right. harvesting in any, any other way, that's, that's not really a good thing. Yeah. And so So... You know, really, why why there wasn't much research uh, into alligator gar at first? Like to us, uh, from from Europe, from the Netherlands, it sounds so crazy. But you guys have this term trash fish, and I know you like to fish for them. You're one of the exceptions that really loves the, the yeah. trash fish. But there is no such thing as trash fish. Maybe maybe the only thing I could consider a trash fish is when it is an exotic species that really destroys the ecosystem. Yeah, like invasive species. Yeah. Yeah, but but like uh, any native species that that belongs in the ecosystem and has a vital role in the ecosystem cannot be a trash fish and needs to be uh, treated with respect and 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 uh, shouldn't be like uh, you know. This, this uh, goes especially for apex predator fish species yeah. because they're a major part of the balance in the ecosystem, and a lot of people are not aware of what these big species do. 
So this whole food web, every species uh, from the small ones to the big ones, they're all connected. And these big fish, they have a, um, an effect on the ecosystem called top-down regulation. And well, that is very important to keep the ecosystem in balance. So if alligator gar or any other big uh, predator uh, goes missing, then the ecosystem will shift to a different state, which may not be beneficial. So one very famous example is uh, the wolves going lost in Yellowstone Park. And then you have got all these mammals, all deer and other species, they uh, started eating away the vegetation and that mm -hmm. changed the landscape completely. And then they reintroduced the wolves and the ecosystem all of a sudden blossomed again. So the same thing goes for the underwater world. Yep. And so, so the reason, so what I was getting into, why, why this, this research on alligator gar and, and interest in general wasn't there because they were considered trashes and no one thought them of, as, of them as valuable until scientists decided, hey, this makes no sense. We need to start studying them. They're under yeah. pressure. Their, their populations are in decline. And then when this shifted, like this, this uh, idea of how we view alligator gar, a lot of research uh, started uh, on 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 the on the species, and uh, I guess that happened in two thousand and eight, from the top of my head. And now we got all this knowledge and all these studies uh, 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 finished or being conducted. And yeah, that's a really good thing. But we we came from far, right? So uh, it's it's a it's a process. It's not going fast. I mean, first, it's probably scientific communities that know about fish and what they do. And it takes a lot of time for like the general audience, general public to um, accept or to even get this knowledge and to accept it. I mean, it's also a bit of opinion going on out there and it takes time. But mm -hmm. in the end, um, yeah, you can either lose a species, which has happened to alligator gar in many states because right. we didn't know what they were doing. There were even eradication efforts from yeah. uh, research institution going on. Mm -hmm. Gar rodeos. <laughs> yeah, but now there's this switch, and it's it's not too late. I mean, there are still uh, large numbers of alligator gar in several rivers. We already discussed that for the Trinity, and well, why not uh, do the same for different species or different rivers with alligator gar? Yeah, it, it's one of those weird things. I don't understand, like the institutional resistance by some people. <laughs> to i don't know admit that they're wrong um try to do something different it, if there's any silver lining i guess to like the social media world which obviously can, it can be really bad but it could also be good is that you're seeing so many more of these like specialty groups who you know are trying to shift that that uh, ideology of trash fish to be rough fish and now even people who say rough fish are saying maybe we need to call it non-traditional game fish it's like so i think those perceptions are changing it's a really really i mean better late than never i guess for the culture of anglers in the united states to get on board with wanting to to become specialists at a lot of different species but you're definitely seeing it more now but it is funny when you encounter those people that just flat out refuse refuse to admit uh, that they are wrong and i know that you've probably seen the pushback if you were to say in certain areas uh the populations are in decline there's a lot of people that will disagree because their spot, that's not true. And they feel as though if their spot, that's not true. It's that that's what exists on the big picture. 
And it's yeah. very frustrating. I have a hard time even engaging in the conversations, but it's like somebody needs to, but you, you know, you feel like you don't really get anywhere trying to correct somebody on the internet. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny when you were mentioning earlier too, I like have to throw this out there because it's when you talk about the big fish stories or the myth, you know, the mythical giant fish and people here saying that, that you know, Oh yeah. Or, you know, have you seen any alligator garden XYZ area? Yeah. We saw one five minutes ago. Um, one of the ones that I hear a lot here without, cause alligator gar have their stories. One of the famous ones, I don't know if y'all ever heard it while you were here talking to locals, but it's like the first one that comes up is when they talk about the 14 footer that they saw, like I was in a 14 foot John boat and this thing came up beside me. Its head was on one end of the boat and its tail was on the other end of the boat. It was 14 feet long. Yeah, Please we, tell me we, y'all never heard that one. We heard some of those stories, but um, <laughs> the thing is, these these fish they do get really big, and in the water, right. everything looks bigger, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and in your imagination, because it's so impressive to see such a big fish, you'll it's, yeah, it's you unique. start exaggerating. Yeah, it's unique. And the thing is, these fish they take up to, well well over fifty years to reach those giant sizes, and seeing one nowadays of uh, giant proportions is becoming increasingly rare. Because these fish that have been around so long, they've managed somehow to evade all of these, well, catch efforts or eradication efforts even. And they, they're, still, they're still out there. Mm-hmm. But if they get killed beforehand, that chances, those chances are way bigger. But um, yeah, there are a lot of stories about out-of-proportion alligator gar out there. But... Um, yeah, I mean, if they see a big one, I guess they should just be very happy that they even saw one that that's really big. I'm curious when y'all go back home to show, you know, the research that you've done and and show the images and the people, you know, who live locally where you live see this. What is like the public's perception of them from people over there? I I always have to know that because I know what people here will kind of say, but I'm always curious what people who live in different parts of the world when they see an alligator gar like what do they think are they uh, are they are they more interested are they afraid are they you know what are they what are they thinking i can do a facial expression of what they think <laughs> shock and awe huh yes <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we don't really have any um dangerous or well they're, they're not dangerous but thing that's animals that look menacing to a human in the Netherlands. So mm-hmm. when they see these fish that look like basically a dinosaur, it's something beyond their imagination. There's something still out there. And they, they're indeed very curious about how did you find these things? Why, why did you go out there? Why did you even get in the water with them? So yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, the, the reactions are, uh, are amazing. And they're all very curious and they're all amazed by, yeah, these strange, unique animals. So I, I kind of believe that in the Netherlands, like we're a super, super populated country and every, every, uh, say, inch of the Netherlands is like adapted by, by us uh, to, to, be, to be exploited or whatever, or this is, this part is nature. This is uh, agriculture. This is whatever. This is city. This, so and we we re- we really got uh, like 
nature in the Netherlands is um, it's a sad thing. Let's put it this way. So I, I feel like people in the Netherlands are also kind of disconnected to a lot of nature stuff. Yeah. And like Max and I, uh, we really have been drawn to this from from when we were very young. So we were like looking up, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, um, look up information about fish around the world or whatever. Maybe also other other uh, groups of species like reptiles or whatever. Um, but like we we really went out of our way to learn more about this stuff. But most people in the Netherlands, they just don't know. They they, yeah. they never encountered anything like it and they've never researched it or whatever. And then when they see this, they're just amazed. So They think it's far, far away from their home and that it's like unreachable or whatever. And we decided to, yeah, just get out there and explore and see if we can find these animals ourselves. Yeah, that's really cool. That's I, I also I also like seeing like some of the things that y'all run into, like incident to the pursuit of the target animal, like when you're catching like bycatch or accidental things. Um, I got a real kick out of when you were describing when y'all were and I guess this wasn't incidental, but I, it just it crossed my mind thinking about, you know, perceptions of fish from one part of the world to the next. So you're and we've kind of touched on the topic of like trash fish and like the undesirable fish that that kind of perception that um exists a lot here but i thought it was real funny yesterday and i want to revisit the conversation because we cut it off too short we had we all had things we needed to do but when you were (laughs) describing uh trying to catch largemouth bass in the u.s that was an entertaining conversation because you know you go from talking about one of the least popular fish on the continent to the most popular fish on the continent. And uh, I got a real kick out of you talking about you were trying to utilize the tactics that you've developed overseas on, on our bass, but uh, that, that was entertaining. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, we um, tried to, well, the first time we went out bass fishing was with a couple of research colleagues. And well, it was a river that, didn't contain a lot of really big bass. So we went weight fishing and we thought, well, let's use pike lures. Well, not, not the giant ones yeah. I just showed you, but still pretty big baits. And for, what we used in the river were for pike lures considered to me very small, but uh, to them yeah. for that river was considered very big. So they were yeah. maybe <laughs> using like this size bait, like really tiny crankbaits or whatever, or beetle spinners or whatever. And we, we just, size it up like quite a bit so max go ahead <laughs> and at, at first they were like oh there goes a pike lure and then, then yeah yeah all, all of a sudden i hooked into a fish and they're like wait is he, is he serious does does he have one on there and the first one that we reeled in was the biggest one that they had um yeah that they had caught thus far and then in the next few weeks we would go out more and more and we would catch well, every single time. And so and was, this river really only only really had smaller bass, right? And most of what you would catch was maybe maybe this size, right? But then like we did the same thing on 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 like uh small lakes or whatever, uh where there were actually bigger bass, like I guess the part where we were at, like we were in the panhandle in Florida, um, and you don't have the giant, giant ten pounders as much as in the middle of Florida. Yeah, and we we so, didn't fish in spawning season or whatever, so these yeah, fish were also, a lot yeah. more slim. <clears throat> but um, yeah, we just started using like pike jerk baits, like like this size for 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 these uh, uh, 
bass and uh, you know we, we caught them like over five pound i think i don't know we did we never really weighed them but like they were good size uh uh bass and we, and we, we consider just, them nice if our hand basically fits inside there yeah no, yeah so that's right we don't yeah. know how much they weigh that's how we measure them too yeah <laughs> if your fist can go in their mouth that's yeah. a good one so, yeah. so they for consider so they were not giants for if you consider what what the middle of Florida has, but for the part that we were fishing, they were pretty big, and like just sizing up your baits and 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 yeah, it just works uh, apparently. So yeah, the side of that that I thought that I think so entertaining is that you know our our local guys gave you the the funny looks like well what what are these guys they don't know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> But it, it's a good reminder that like a little bit of humility can take you a long way in fishing if you'll just humble yourself and understand that like it's okay to try different yeah. things. Like you don't know it all. Nobody knows it all. But um, bass fishing is one of those things where they're so heavily pressured here in the States. Everybody, most people, <laughs> I mean, I started as a bass fisherman. Most people's journey as anglers start fishing local ponds for, for bass. So that is a species that has almost no matter where you go they've seen it all they get pressured yeah. so hard so you know these uh typical lures they're i don't know they over time they become more weary of them so you know there's there's some value in throwing something different at these fish and and that's what always happens it seems like every couple of years this new wacky wild looking lure explodes onto the market and yeah. starts catching the hell out of the fish and 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 then it just sort of like starts going down in productivity because the you know and that's part of the reason why people love bass so much it's one of those very adaptable fish that has a lot of variables so like you you're constantly needing to adapt and change and grow and learn and do research to figure out and it's probably why they're like our national freshwater sport fish but um but max it it touched my heart when i saw photos of you holding these big monster bowfin because that is actually and in, in case you didn't know that is of all the fish that I've caught is my number one, most favorite fish. Like that is the fish that got me into fishing. Like I, I went fishing a lot when I was a kid, but it was like, I, you know, it was just an excuse for me to go play at the Creek. But when I caught a bowfin, when I was like 13 years old, it was like a seed was like planted into my brain. There's just, and, and everything else grew from there. So when I saw you holding that, I was like, oh, that is awesome. He's, and you've caught a few of them, big ones, but I'm curious, like, what, what was your impression of those? How did you come across uh, that species? So, uh, first of all, bowfin that we, that we've seen on your page, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're big. But uh, the first time we saw bowfin was actually during alligator gar research. And on okay. our way to one of the uh, sites that we were looking for alligator gar, we had to go through this crystal clear cold water creek and we saw one swim by and we were like well that's a cool looking fish we we're coming back for you <laughs> so uh next time we went back and we actually caught one pretty fast and we we took a really awesome picture on the water picture with it don't know if you that was the picture you were talking about I've seen but, a few uh, of them. I think I liked all of them. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we took one on the underwater with him. So that that was really cool. And unfortunately, we didn't fish for them a lot. I, I wish we would have fished for them more often. But they're they're awesome. We also caught them during research, a couple of them. 
And well, yeah, th those were were huge. I believe Florian got one one in that was really big. And they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're also very prehistoric looking fish, and yep. they're awesome. Yeah, we're right there with you. That both in are so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's another one kind of on that same category with the alligator gar that's looked at much with like disdain and trash fish, and and they're again they're kind of growing in popularity a little bit but they're not as magnificent as you know say an eight foot alligator gar like the alligator mm -hmm. gar sells itself and like you can you can quickly get people's attention with that so the the bowfin's got a little bit of a a harder hill to climb but at the same time i don't think they're they're not in at risk of being eliminated either but it it's a i don't know for me i've always kind of had that soft spot in my heart for like the survivor fish like the prehistoric yeah. fish because like from <clears throat> From the lens of like an angler who wants to go out and do battle with like the toughest, just nastiest, like hardcore fish. When I look at a fish like that, like you think about prehistoric fish, something like a sawfish, uh, giant sturgeon, alligator gar, paddlefish. At least here in North America, those are the ones I'm familiar with. It, it seems like the common denominator with them is they either grow to tremendous size, they have armor-plated scales, they have, like, hardware that they can defend themselves with, or they have a unique instrument like the paddlefish has, or, you know, they just, they have some size, like, something, something that, that would allow them to contend with the unimaginable beasts that they once roamed the earth with, but then you got a bowfin, all they have is attitude, they're not, they're not big giant fish, they don't have armor-plated scales. They're kind of a soft-bodied fish. But when you hook into them, it's like it all, like, makes sense. Like, okay. Like, they just got by by being just nasty dog fighters. So that was always what sort of drew me into them because I'm like, you know, here is a species of fish that has survived a, a lot of, like, the Earth's craziest moments. I mean, whatever it was that killed off 70% of all life on earth millions of years ago, they made it through that. They made it through crazy different types of climate changes. They've made it through habitat encroachment. So I'm like, okay, well, that thing is clearly a fighter. That's what I want to chase. But uh, so when I saw y'all's photos of those things, I'm like, oh, I got to ask about that for sure. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're awesome fish. They're, um, and you, you talked about them looking kind of dull, but They've got some unique features. Like if you look oh, at yeah. their nose, they're like these little tubes yeah. <laughs> that go mm -hmm. on. And if you see a boning bo boning fish, if you see a uh, bowfin <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in spawning colors, it's uh, yeah, it turns into a boning fish. But if you see one in spawning colors, yeah. it's just <laughs> awesome. They get all these green colors going on, and uh, yeah, I I think if people would see something like that, they would get a lot of more appreciation. And also, if they realize that they've been around for so long surviving everything those fish deserve some recognition and yeah they're they're just very cool yeah i agree it's it's a wild fish it's a it's a fish that's got i don't know i've not encountered anything else that has the same sort of attitude and i don't know if you've ever had the opportunity like w when they get scary is if you come up on like the, the fry ball like when the male is guarding the young they don't give a crap what you are who you are in certain scenarios those things will literally launch themselves out of the water. They don't care if you're a human being, an elephant, a bird, um, 
it sounds corny to say it, but they, like that's a scenario. They will go after you. So it's oh, just a wild fish. Not a lot that would do that, but um, it just speaks to their ability to, I don't know, push their species forward because they obviously aggressively uh, defend that the, their next generations. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we, in, when we were in Florida where these bowfin were around, we didn't really have the resources to go out. Um, like we didn't really have, a, well, we didn't have a boat or whatever uh, in our spare time. Um, and like what you are doing, you are going to these really remote locations for these big bowfin. And that's where we found them during our research as well. And yeah, we just, um, yeah, we didn't really have the opportunity to go out like that and, uh, uh, you know, go on the river and, and go to the spot where there's big bowfin. But we, we would have loved to do that. Like, it's so, so, so much fun. But um, then in Texas, like our second time in the USA, uh, well, we just uh, devoted to the idea of, of, of uh, uh, buy, just buying our, our own John boat uh, for the half year <laughs> that we were there. And man, we had so many opportunities then, and we only more mostly used it for, uh, like almost exclusively used it for alligator gar fishing, where we just go out for the entire weekend, fish for them uh, recreationally, and then during the week we'd study them uh, for for science. But uh, right, yeah, but um, like. Without that boat, we would never have caught any alligator gar. I think on rod and reel, and and yeah, it just it was a good uh, a good decision to buy that boat uh, uh, for that half year that we were there. Oh, hundred percent. Because I don't know, I, my experience is it's really hard to find good solid ground to fish from on those rivers. It's not a lot of bank fishing, but uh, in my experience with the with alligator gar, I've done most of it with a kayak or a canoe. So it's like if you can just get in the water. Um, even with something as small as a, a canoe, I, you know, you can, you can have a lot of success, but I don't know. Uh, the bank fishing is just almost impossible over there, it, especially. In, and if you do find good ground that you can stand on, you're probably trespassing on some old cattle rancher's land and, and you don't want to do all that <laughs> down there. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I mean, getting a boat in is also, it can be very hard. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have the smallest engine, but we carried that thing down cliffs and everything. And it was so we got heavy. through areas that you would normally not get to with a boat. We we carried our boat, we dragged it, we I'm I'm survived that thing even kept floating in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And our boat too, like we had this uh custom made uh uh like casting uh uh platform, like yeah. a wooden platform that they built into it when we bought the boat. And that just absorbs all the water, right? So, man, the boat would get heavy, and we had to to carry those off cliffs and for like such long distances, like it would just destroy us. But or well, me, Max is a beast, but I am not a beast. <laughs> but uh, it was worth like every all the effort. Yeah, but, and uh, also tracking alligator gar during the research project. We also had to go places that, yeah, you yeah. You you shouldn't probably go there. I mean, we we once uh, ran a tributary, and on our way back, it was completely dried up. Oh my! Goodness, we literally yeah. had to drag the boat uh, through the mud or lift it through through a tree, and yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. 
And we, yeah, we could well. fill out the whole podcast with crazy things that went on with with boats and getting back to fishing or from fishing spots. No kidding. Well, Max, I've looked all through your page and, I, and I've seen some of the things that, I don't know, may, may, it, maybe it makes a little more sense you're able to, to physically do that. I've seen like the Viking races that you're doing, some of the fitness pursuits that you have. So, you know, obviously you're, you're more than just an angler and a guy that deals with big fish. And, and I've seen the MMA stuff, the grappling, which is, you know, I grew up wrestling. So it's like, it's the interest is always there when I see somebody, especially that's like good with grappling. Uh, but I've seen that. So it makes a little more sense that you can go out there and do battle with these giant fish and, and have to, I don't know, roll your sleeves up and trudge through. Cause I know how nasty that that mud can get too. It's like you, you can't go to Texas for alligator gar and it's unavoidable. The mud just sticks to you. It stays with you. I have clothes in my closet right now that will never be the same because it, <laughs> they've been through a hundred laundry cycles and, and the red clay stains still hold to them and you know i just give up so i'm like if i'm gonna go after alligator gar that's the same wardrobe that i'll take because they've already been lost to the river (laughs) yeah the the fishing spots in in texas the mud and everything it just eats away at your gear your clothes your shoes everything (laughs) but uh yeah it's it's all worth it when you finally get to see and handle one of these yeah amazing creatures whether it's alligator gar bowfin sturgeon whatever and uh, yeah, it's well, it, it's it's an advantage to have some uh, physical fitness when chasing these fish. Yeah, that's been kind of a common theme on some of the folks that I've had on here and just, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, if you enjoy something that much, you probably want to make sure that you're going to be, be able to enjoy it for longer. So living in an active lifestyle, living a healthy lifestyle is important because you don't want to get to a point where you're unable to do it at age 40, 50, whatever. Now you have to stop um, all because you didn't lay proper groundwork ahead of time by keeping yourself healthy. But um, man, I know we're getting a little short on time. I could talk to you all for hours. It's been very, (laughs) very uh, entertaining. Even yesterday, I I had to hit the record button when when that crazy stuff was going down. But, um, you know, when I look at all the things that y'all have done in the years past and continue to do, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like curious, like what's what's next? Do y'all got any big expeditions planned for this year, next year? You got like a like a especially like big trip sort of like that you want to go do, but you're you're working towards like what's next? So, Either one uh, of you can cover that one. Yeah, for me, there's two things going on: one rec- recreationally and one um, research-wise. So at the moment, research-wise, I'm uh, setting up like one of the first really big field studies on uh, Welsh catfish, European catfish in the Netherlands, because those things are increasing in numbers and there's not a lot uh, known about what their impact on the ecosystem is. So uh, I'm setting up that study right now. Hopefully I'll uh, be able to do some field work for that uh, later this year. And then recreationally, uh, well, because last time, I wasn't able to join on Florian's Piraiva adventure because I had to do uh, research in the Netherlands. I've got uh, probably got that plan in October this year. And after that, yeah, may- maybe it's going to be Arapaima, maybe it's going to be white sturgeon. Th- those are also a couple of species that are really high up on our list. How about yeah. you, Florian? Yeah, f- for me, um, 
so I just did my big trip abroad. So uh, and given my personal situation, I don't foresee that I'll be going like uh, over the ocean for something like this in the near future. But who knows? But um, like, I guess the, the fish that has always been on top of my list for some reason, uh, even though you might argue that in, in ways alligator are even cooler and piraiba are much crazier and stronger, is, is uh, arapaima. Uh, lure, lure fishing for arapaima is really, really up there uh, on the list for me. So I really hope to do that in the near future. Say, uh, near future would be a couple of years, but man, we'll see. I don't know uh, uh, what life will uh, uh, bring me, but uh, on the short term, uh, well, I'm hoping to assist Max in the fieldwork for his uh, catfish uh, study in the Netherlands because they need to catch them and they're very hard to catch with nets. So you'll have to use rod and reels. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I guess the, the easy thing for us to do is to go to like France or whatever for uh, European or Welsh catfish because there's many more there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's that's basically uh, for us a, an easier way to catch these giant fish uh, um, kind of nearby. Uh, and then, I mean, there's some other species maybe close by that, that would get the attention first probably due to money <laughs> yeah money availability but uh yeah those are those are the the the, the biggest plans i guess yeah that's and, awesome I, I look forward to seeing it and and i can relate um i've never like i told y'all yesterday i've never been out of the united states so i envy the the adventures that y'all are getting to be on both recreationally and 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 that's uh, you know very impactful work that's that's helping the bigger picture you know me maybe i'm too selfish i just want to go catch these big fish to get a really cool photo out of it, but y'all are embarking on a lot of these trips and, and you're actually doing something that's, that's helping. So, um, that's admirable. But my, my, um, passport is supposed to be here in March. So I have some personal plans. I'm right there with you with the Arapaima thing. That's sort of like, I don't know, the, the queen of the river. That's like, you know, the one on the pedestal for a lot of people, but it is interesting. And I've said the same thing about alligator gar. You could make the argument it's a cooler fish, but maybe, maybe they just don't live in as pristine or an interesting for me. It's like some of the Arapaima thing is it's because of where it's at. And, um, you know, totally all that, all that happens around you, it's like a, a bigger scope thing. And, you know, you're fishing for alligator gar, you're smelling the ambient air is that of cow manure and like a nearby <laughs> interstate. Whereas, you know, I don't know, you, you're going to get a more unique, uh, and uniquely wild experience over there so um, yeah, yeah. to us the united states was already really really awesome i mean you've got such a diverse country you've got right. so many species and well we're for sure coming back someday hopefully uh, sooner rather than later but you've got plenty of uh species and area to cover over there and if you ever want to catch a big pike then you know what oh, yeah. Is. oh yeah I, but, I gotta add that one to the list it's good to have connections who do these things too just to, to be able to to reach out so just got to lay the groundwork for such a trip i think one that's also been on the list for me thanks to you is the uh, goliath grouper from shore uh, oh yeah yeah just totally doing it by yourself i think if we ever get back to the u.s i think that's something i really want to give a give a, uh, uh, give a try i'd have i'd be happy to do that you know it's not that difficult doing it alone is a little weird 
Um, it's very risky, mostly because uh, I, and I don't know, I just maybe I need to make more friends down here or and then it's and then on top of that, it's people that are willing to go do that. But it's not hard. It's, um, you know, the interesting thing is you paddle your baits out in a kayak, you drop them right beside a bridge piling, and then you it's a mad dash back to shore with the kayak because you don't want them to eat it before you get back to shore because they get back in the pilings like that. And my yeah. rigs alone are 150 bucks. You lose all that line. The line is of such a high caliber. Like if you get in the snags, you can't just break it off. Mm. Um, but it's it's definitely a cool experience. It's I don't know. I know. And I've seen photos of some of the Goliaths that y'all have. I think they were Goliaths that y'all had caught. But um, it's a really cool. Thing. I'd be happy to help if y'all want to try that. It's cool. I can't say it's hard to do because they're going to eat like it's one of those fish that's not going to turn down an easy meal. And they really don't move around. That's the one funny thing about that fish is like if you're fishing on one specific wreck, a lot of times people are just catching the same fish over and over and over and over. But uh, yep. but anyway, yeah, I'd be happy to help that. So we have spent the last hour and 20 minutes plus talking about all these adventures and these crazy photos and all the things you're working on. So people listening are going are gonna to want to know where they can see that at and obviously i'm gonna add your individual social media links but uh where could people find you uh i know y'all have a shared page and then each of you can just expand on your individual pages where they might be able to see some of the stuff you're working on and see some of these phenomenal fish photos thank you it's uh yeah our shared page is called uh fishing and conservation and we also go by the name of the crazy Dutchman because, well, that was one of the nicknames we got because we got in the water with all these fish and also other animals like rattlesnakes. But <laughs> um, and then our individual pages, well, Florian can share his first. Yeah, so my individual page, page would be uh, Florian K uh, underscore it's called, I guess, uh, Captain or fishing, sorry, Florian K underscore fishing. And so I, I, on my personal page, I only post like the, 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 the big fish I catch. So mm -hmm. I'll catch way more than I post, but the, 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 the diamonds that I catch, I'll post on there. And I guess on our shared page, we, uh, we, we post also the diamonds, uh, for our recreational fishing and we'll share our research pictures. And I don't share those on my personal page because I really devoted that one to fishing. So, yeah. And apart from that, uh, no, I don't think I have any anything uh, where I share uh, my stuff. It's really Instagram. Uh... Yes. So my Instagram page would be Maximilian underscore Claus uh, underscore fishing. And well, Claus is spelled the same way as Santa Claus because he might be my <laughs> grandpa. <laughs> but um, yeah, that would uh, that would be our two personal pages, and then of course our shared page. <clears throat> yeah what's awesome I, i've been following y'all stuff for a long time i don't know how it hasn't exploded into a big followership but all i think all that tells me is you're doing it in the most pure way um so but anybody that wants to see and it's high quality photos and we didn't even touch on that but it's like the 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 photos that y'all are taking are very high quality all proper fish handling partially submerged just monster an admirable fish awesome awesome stuff so i would encourage anybody listening and i'm going to throw the links up on the screen i'm going to put them in the description of everything but y'all got to check out what these guys are doing um really awesome stuff so i appreciate both of your times um from all the way across the ocean and joining me to talk about some of these things 
Yeah, thank, no thanks for inviting us. We really enjoy, enjoyed being on here and uh, talking to you, of course. And well, I hope we, uh, yeah, we can educate some people or just share adventures and share these amazing, amazing animals and show what's possible uh, and what's still out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you also uh, for me. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this talk. Like. Uh, connecting with anglers like yourself like i don't know it's just uh, amazingly fun and like you 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 do something very unique we do the same thing i guess and that just uh, unites in some way it's uh, yeah i had a lot of fun uh, talking about this stuff and hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, fish together someday absolutely I, I i see it happening uh for sure we'll have to make it happen. if y'all come through florida i will go way out of my way to try to meet up and and uh and do whatever we got to do that that'd be really cool but Anyway, guys, I appreciate both of your times, um, and, and we'll be in touch for sure. I really sure. enjoyed thank this. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Thank All you. Right, thank you. Take care.